BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, did you know that Illinois has an average monthly revenue of over $100 million from recreational cannabis sales? As of 2022, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. The Windy City is the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention June 10th through 11th. It's brought to you by NECAN. The convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult use recreational market. The convention will showcase more than 100 companies, brands, and product lines. There's also four, count them four, full programming tracks running each day for medical, business, cultivation, and social justice, featuring dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com slash Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N.com slash Illinois for information and to register. Your Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com, and if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. I know, that was a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the ben, job, the ben Jarofsky Show starts now. <laughs> It is Wednesday, April 13th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Harold Washington Wednesday, and here's why. Because it's Harold Washington Wednesday, that's why. Former mayor of the city of Chicago, greatest mayor the city has ever had. Dennis knows that. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that now. I didn't know that, but then I worked in political radio in Chicago. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that guy. Okay, I know yeah. him. Yes. Who was elected mayor before Dennis was born. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Anyway, I'm feeling particularly old today. On Friday, it will be Harold's 100th birthday. Harold Washington, if he had lived, he died, of course, in 1987, would be 100 years old. <laughs> 100. Wow. You know, the older you get, the more you think, like, certain ages that seem to used to be really old or not really old. You millennials are like that, too. Kind of, sort of. Actually, that's not true. Millennials, when they hit, like, 30, oh, God, they start drinking. I'm so old. But then, like, millennials, when you turn 40 and 50, it's like, you know, it's not as old as I thought it was. Because, like, when you're 30 and you see a 50-year-old, my God, he's old. 
This is my way of saying that 100, even as ancient as I am right now, yeah. sure seems old. Okay, yeah. I, No matter how you stretch that one, 100's old. Yeah, 100's old. Now, maybe I'll be singing a different tune. Valari. Whoa, 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 whoa. I was the first tune that popped into mind, ladies and gentlemen. Don't know where it came from. Maybe I'll be singing a different tune uh, when I am 99. You know, 100's not so bad. But right now it looks really old. So I can't believe that Harold Washington uh, is would be 100 years old. And there was a big celebration yesterday uh, at the Harold Washington Library. All the leading dignitaries in Chicago and the Illinois politics are of the Democratic persuasion uh, where there are no Republicans were on hand. Republicans, man, I mean, you know, it's funny when Harold Washington died. Back in 1987, the governor of the state of Illinois was Jim Thompson, a Republican, and he spoke uh, at Harold Washington's funeral. I can't imagine a Republican in this day and age uh, showing up for a politician like Harold Washington, the the equivalent of Harold Washington today to the left uh, and powerful, uh, outspoken on issues of civil rights uh, for black people. I just can't imagine this. We're so divided right now uh, as a country. Just can't imagine. But in 1987, Jim Thompson came as one of the, the speakers at Harold's funeral. Anyway, the place was packed. J.B. Pritzker was there. Mary, Mayor Lori Lightfoot was there. Bobby Rush, Luis Gutierrez, Jesus Garcia, going down the list of political dignitaries uh, that were there. Monroe Anderson was there. He will be joining us soon. Uh, and uh, Josie Childs, legendary Josie Childs, who was a long-standing uh, aide to Harold Washington. She was sort of like the uh, – she sat at the lead table. She'll be joining us uh, in a little while, too, I hope, if all goes well, uh, with our connections today. Uh, so it was a really big deal. Everybody uh, gave a speech. And we'll be talking about Harold Washington and his legacy and the challenges that the city faces uh, in his absence. But I just want to point something out. Uh, I hate to be the naysayer, <laughs> which is sort of – I don't even know why I say I hate to be the naysayer because I've been the naysayer most of my life. So I must like being the naysayer if I'm the naysayer so long. Uh, But when Harold Washington was alive, he was not as well liked as uh, you would think based on all the adulations that he's been receiving uh, in the last few days as we uh, get closer and closer to his 100th birthday. Uh, He was not appreciated fully in the city of Chicago. And he's like so many other iconic figures, uh, black figures, I should say, Muhammad Ali. Now everybody loves Muhammad Ali, but when Muhammad Ali was alive, very much, very much opposed by a huge chunk uh, of America. Martin Luther King. You would think everybody liked Martin Luther King. No. Martin Luther King came to the city of Chicago in 1966, ladies and gentlemen. I am not making this up. He led uh, marches for civil rights, open housing. Someone threw a rock at him, hit him in the head. Happened in Marquette Park. And Karen Lewis, my dear friend Karen Lewis, she, of course, uh, was not beloved uh, when she uh, was the head of the Chicago Teachers Union. So it's an interesting little phenomenon that uh, I've been noticing as time moves on. People who are not liked. When they're alive and strong and thinking well and carrying out their mission in life, but when they die, it's nothing but adulations for them. Nothing but love. Very interesting phenomenon. Uh, Of course, I've been observing for a long time and talking about it. It's happening right now with the great uh, Harold Washington. So um, a shout out to Harold Washington. 
in my humble opinion, is the greatest mayor the city of Chicago ever had. I was lucky enough to live here uh, when he was the mayor. Uh, but uh, I would like to see a little more carrying out of Harold Washington's, what, goals, what he wanted to do with government, open it up, uh, better services for every neighborhood, be more inclusive with how you divvy up the pie. So uh, equal shares going out to everybody, not just the same old, same olds. Uh, and, uh, progressive legislation. All right. I'm going to bring on our guest. She's here already waiting to come on. Uh, the great uh, Josie Childs. Josie, can you hear me? I hear you. Huh? Welcome to the Ben Jarofsky show. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Yes. Uh, and uh, you're, you were suggested by the legendary, the great Monroe Anderson, a dear friend of mine who comes on the show every uh, Wednesday. And Monroe, I don't know where he is right now, Josie, but we'll start the conversation without him. How about that? Oh, what a great reference. You know, Monroe? Yes, the great Monroe Anderson. Uh, and uh, so, Josie, you uh, sat at the table of honor last night at the, the, Washington, the Harold Washington Library. Uh, you were there with uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and of course Governor Pritzker was there as well. Uh, Congressman Bobby Rush, etc., and so forth. Oh, Monroe Anderson has joined us. Welcome to the show, Monroe. I'm talking to Josie Charles right now about uh, last night's uh, ceremony at the Harold Washington Center. Josie, why don't you try to uh, sum up, if you will, just to get us started, uh, the importance of Harold Washington to the city of Chicago? Oh wow, um, I think. The greatest legacy that Mayor Washington leaves is his ability to bring the city together, black and white, uh, under one umbrella, to break with the machine, get things done in spite of the 29-21, and just make us become one Chicago. You know, uh, I was talking before you came on about my memories. Uh, I was I had just moved to Chicago in 1981. Two years later, Harold Washington uh, was elected mayor of the city of Chicago. Very uh, bitter election. Uh, you, I know you uh, remember it well. Uh, Bernie Epton, the Republican, suddenly got thousands and thousands of votes. A Republican had never gotten so many votes uh, in the city of Chicago. Before and it's too late. Before it's too late. That was his message, his campaign theme. Uh, so I have to ask you this. Do you appreciate in any way, like the irony, I guess, where so, there was so much opposition to Harold Washington. There was so much fear in this city about what would happen if he got elected. And now here we are, uh, how many years later, celebrating his 100th anniversary. Governor shows up. The mayor shows up. The congressman shows up. All the congressmen show up. Seems like everybody loves Harold Washington now. He's not uh, here and scaring people. What do you think about that? Are you uh, what? What are you struck by a, pr a profound irony there? Well, if you're talking about last night, I would say that 95 percent of those people there last night were Harold Washington people. Mm -hmm. It was a big family, and we're still family. You can just say the name Harold Washington to people, and they have an hour conversation. My phone has been jammed this morning with people talking about the good old days, how good it was to see everybody, and just celebrate Harold. I remember when Harold, you know, Harold didn't want to run for mayor. Mm -hmm. He was adamant that he didn't want to run for mayor. 
And the day before he was announcing, say one o'clock in the afternoon today, he's announcing tomorrow morning at 10 or 11, he called me to tell me how much he did not want to run for mayor. He said, I like what I'm doing. I think I'm a better legislator than I am an administrator. And I just want to stay where I am. And he was still working up until midnight, I think, trying to get someone else to run, particularly Roland Burris. Wow. He did not want to run. But he did say to me, he said, if I have to do it, I'm going to give it my best shot. Why, why didn't Roland want to run, Josie? He liked the legislature. He liked being in the, because there he had to convince competing, you know, and he was good at that. As a matter of fact, what I didn't say last night, when he went to Washington, he got what was an unprecedented assignment for a freshman congressman. I didn't mention this last night, but when he went, the Voting Rights Act was up for renewal. If you remember when Johnson signed the Voting Rights Act, yeah. it was for a limited period of time, 10, 15, 20 years, I don't know. But anyway, whatever Harold's freshman year would have been in Congress, the act was expiring. Mm-hmm. And my source on this is, is Tim Black. He says that Tip O'Neill knew of Harold's ability to work across the aisle. And he gave him the assignment of going across the country to encourage, uh, to buttonhole senators or congressmen, I guess I should say, to make sure that they voted for the extension of the Voting Rights Act. And I have a picture of him uh, with Reagan re-signing the Voting Rights Act. Yeah, no, that's, uh, and he and just so everybody knows, this is like 1981, 1982, uh, Harold was a rookie congressman. So this was quite an assignment for a rookie car. He had just been elected in 1980, uh, Josie, as you know, uh, filling the, the seat that uh, Ralph Metcalf had held. Uh, and I believe he worked with Strom Thurmond on that one. And I don't know if you um, remember Strom Thurmond, but he was a, a racist South Carolina senator. How could we forget him? Yeah. <laughs> How could we forget him? Uh, but uh, I remember Harold Washington uh, in an interview, interview talking about that, Josie Child saying, uh, you know, he had to work with Strom Thurmond to put aside his feelings uh, to get that Voting Rights Act back. So, Josie, why don't you explain to people why, why it was that Harold was calling you the night before? What was your connection and relation with Harold Washington that he was so close with you? Well, you know, I take credit for, I don't know of any, I know one other person and two younger people, I guess I should say, because they were kids living who knew Harold longer than I did. I met Harold in 1954, right after his father died. I never knew his father, but he was very, very fond of his father. His father was was a prosecutor over at 48th Street, and Harold had just graduated from law school at Northwestern. His father died. And I think everybody just assumed that Harold would move into that spot. He was a lawyer, da 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 da. And I suppose Alderman Metcalf kind of felt that fresh out of law school, he wasn't ready for that major assignment. And he sent him to City Hall, to the Corporation Council in City Hall. And that's when I met him. Why he started talking to me, I don't know. But 
he was still lamenting his father's death and would get very emotional about it. And I just assumed I didn't know him, didn't know anybody that he knew. And he wanted to talk, but he didn't want, you know, you men, he didn't want anybody to see him emotional or the weakness. And that's when we started talking, and it just grew into ben, great, great confidence. Josie is a little uh, modest. She was a very attractive woman back then. That's why Harold wanted to talk to her. But, but she, 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 she's too modest to bring bring up that little point. <laughs> Is there any truth to that uh, accusation from uh, Monroe Anderson, Josie? Huh? I heard him. <laughs> That's all you're going to say? I heard him? Uh, no comment on that one. Uh uh, Harold, yes, no, uh, I hear what you're saying, Monroe. Uh, and uh, so, all right. So, Josie, what were you doing at City Hall? You said Harold Washington got sent there. Uh, Ralph Metcalf uh, uh, felt that's where he should go. How? What were you doing at City Hall back in 1954? 54, I guess I had joined the mayor's office by then. I wasn't on the mayor's office payroll, but I was assigned to the mayor's office with Jack Riley. We started, we started, it was then special events, it is now cultural affairs, because, well, when I first started working in City Hall, I was never hired on the mayor's payroll. I was hired on the, the Corporation Council payroll, but worked wherever they put you. And Jack Riley, who was the mayor's outreach to the city of Chicago, not political, but I'm talking about outreach. And his office was just down the hall from me. And every evening when I would leave, for some reason, I would say good night to him. And this particular night, well, back up a little bit. Adlai Stevenson was running for president okay. and they looked up and they found that they didn't have anything scheduled for him on the South side. And Edith Sampson was working in the corporation's council's office. And the Daily News had just broken a big story on this black lawyer who was never at her desk. And they reached for her to do a rally on the south side. And that rally was where Push Headquarters is today. Mm -hmm. And they assigned me to work with her to do that rally. And when the rally was over, I just sat around doing nothing, to tell you the truth, until Colonel Riley, who at that time, and we don't have any more that I can think of, because we used to bring in uh, international dignitaries. The first thing I worked on him with was, was the Queen of England and what had. We don't have that anymore. I remember I spent my 4th of July down at the Blackstone Hotel teaching, not teaching, but letting these ladies learn how to curtsy to the Queen because she was coming the next day. And after we had the Pan American Games and, of course, that, that outreach. And when the games were over, we didn't have anything to do. So Colonel said, got to find something for us to do so we can earn our paycheck. And I remember he went to Wisconsin because he wanted to copy something that they did up there. Whatever it was, it didn't work. And he came back, and the first thing that we did, he went to Washington to find out about the Cherry Blossom Festival. And that was the first thing we did. We did an Apple Blossom Festival here in Chicago, which was a dismal failure. <laughs> and 
that was the beginning of special events because he said we had to find something to do. Yeah. And there were six of us in special events. And I tell those that people down there now, I said, you know what five of us did? It takes a hundred of you all to do today. But we started that. Yeah. Uh, Colonel Riley, ladies and gentlemen, was a legend in Chicago politics back in the 50s and the 60s, a right-hand man, uh, Mayor Richard J. Daly, youngsters, not Richard M. Daly, Richard J. Daly, that was Daddy Daly. Uh, Josie Childs, I feel compelled every now and then to give a little history lesson. And uh, I remember him when I was a kid. Uh, I was like, how do you get the name Colonel? I know he wasn't a real colonel or anything, but everybody called him like a, you know, like Colonel Sanders type of colonel, not a real mm-hmm. colonel. Uh, but somehow or other, everybody called him Colonel uh, Riley. I was part of the Josie, was he a real colonel? You know, you said that. I thought he was. I don't know. I could, but I thought he was. All I know about him, he had one eye. So he was one eye jacked to us. <laughs> well, he had that patch that yeah. he wore the eye because. And we call him One-Eyed Jack. Uh, you yeah, know, Monroe, I'm going to start calling you Colonel. Yeah, right. Colonel Monroe Anderson. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I, I settle for Major. <laughs> major Monroe. Yeah, uh, right. Major. Right. Uh, um, one thing Je- Josie told me, we, we've talked about the Colonel before, mm-hmm. and she told me he didn't have a desk. He didn't. He was even just he, wherever he, he was, he'd sit, and that was where he operated out of, which I we, thought very he, he sat in Earl Bush's office, but he his desk was the paper table. All the papers were on the end of the t- one end of the table, and he worked on the other end of the table. Uh-oh, and it was forever before he got you know a real office. Earl Bush, the press secretary. Uh, so, just I got to ask you this one. So Harold Washington started, as you pointed out, uh, with the regular Democratic organization. Uh, his father had been uh, very active uh, in the, with the Democrats, and Harold was a, uh, an aide to uh, his, Ralph Metcalf, former alderman, former congressman Ralph Metcalf. Uh, but as time wore on, uh, Harold Washington got more and more disenchanted with the regular Democrats and the um, uh, the daily organization. And by uh, 1977, he had already he broke and he ran for mayor in a special election to succeed Richard J. Daly. Correct. Did, did, uh, and by then he just said patronage is not the way to go. Uh, the dem- regular democratic organization uh, will retard the progress of black people in the city of Chicago. I cannot in good conscience stay a member of it anymore. I remember his transition. So let me ask you, did you undergo a similar transformation in your worldview uh, as Harold Washington, where you came to the conclusion, maybe this was not the best way to go? No, I guess I was a part of the regular democratic organization. So was Harold, but he was always a maverick. And and so you never felt uh, a similar urge to break free from the organization and be an independent? Well, I, I well, I, I guess I was always in debate. I worked with Bob Bell. I was out of the sixth ward, mm-hmm. and of course, there was the third ward. But I was sort of the right hand to, to Bob Miller, and certainly I did all of his political, you know, whatever you have to do. So uh, when when Harold back in 1983, on the eve of him announcing that he was going to run for mayor, said, "I don't even want," can't you get Roland Burris to do it? What did you say, uh, Josie, to? sort of uh, talk him into remaining uh, a candidate? 
I don't know. I, I do remember saying to him, Hodge, you know, that people wanted him and that it, you know, was a big deal. The community wanted him. But somehow, well, Harold made his mark. When he was in Springfield, you know, people began to know the name Harold Washington. Bear in mind, in the early years, Harold had a very not-too-organized life. Hmm. And uh, I was with him. I mean, truthfully say, I was the first person to know that he was going to run for public office because he'd picked me up and we'd gone to a little Christmas party in somebody's basement uh, out in the 90s. And about, it was a third ward Christmas party. All these organizations have their uh, groups, the Women's Auxiliary, the Young Democrats and all that. And this was one of those groups' Christmas party. And about 8.30 that evening, Congressman Metcalf came in, and he took Harold upstairs. And whatever they talked about, they talked about. But that on the way home, on the Dan Ryan, he told me what Harold had told, I mean, what Congressman Metcalf had told him when he took him upstairs, that he had told him he had just left the meeting with Old Man Daly, not the New Daly, the Old Man Daly, and had gotten permission for him to run for state representative. And if anybody knows Harold, they know he was a very, very private person. But he was euphoric that night. And he was so excited, he told me what Ralph had told him, swore me to secrecy, and he told everybody. <laughs> and, but he talked about his life and what he wanted his life to be. He talked about his father, his mother, his stepmother, his wife. He just talked. Now, we were on the Dan Ryan, so this wasn't a five-hour conversation. But... He just and he thought here was where he could make a difference. He thought and he he was just excited about the opportunity. That's the only way I know to put it. And and, and Josie, after he was elected, and you're one of his oldest friends, uh, did you ever a moment where you're sitting in uh, city hall with him and you just looked at each other and he said, "Can you believe this? Is this for real?" <laughs> I don't know, but I do know, as I told you, I was working with Colonel Riley, so we got all of the newspapers from New York Times, Washington Post, et cetera, came to the mayor's office. And when he went to Springfield, I would go through all of those papers and clip anything that I saw happening you know, in the rest of the country that might relate to something that was going on in Springfield. And when he'd come home on Friday, I would have those papers, and he'd read all of them. Monroe, you got a question for Josie before we uh, let her go? I yeah. My question is, you you have the Harold Washington legacy. You, you've created it. How how did that come to be? I mean, how how did you decide this was necessary, and and how did you pull it off? Because your event last night was incredible. I wish I knew how to answer that because Harold had been dead several years before I came up with this brainstorm of an idea that we should do something to commemorate his legacy. And I just called a few people together and we talked about it, the possibilities and it hasn't gone where we'd like for where I would like for it to go, but I think it's getting there. It's, and because as, many, as soon as we reached out to people and said, this is what we think should happen, a good idea, you know, nobody said no. Now, I'm going to tell you that they worked 
all these years faithfully because we haven't. But uh, everybody was in accord with it should be. And we've done several things. And this year, well, last year on his birthday, I kept saying, uh, what can we do for Harold's birthday? No big thing, but what can we do? And the, the virus had set in, so we ended up doing a virtual phone call. And we had 91 people to respond, and naturally they weren't all able to talk. And they were from across the country. I mean, Bearfield from Florida and uh, D.C., they just called in. And I thought, gee, 39 years later, and there's that kind of interest in the name here in Washington. And I said, that's when I came up with the idea of making this, celebrating the entire year to his birthday this year when he would have been 100. And that's what we've been doing, and that's what we continue to ask people to do. Any way you can think of to remember Harold or to highlight his tenure, do it. The White Sox are doing something. Nobody knows but for Harold Washington, there'd be no White Sox in Chicago because they needed a new stadium. I don't know why, but the money was tied up some kind of way, and they were moving to Florida the next week. Mm-hmm. And Harold was able to do whatever to loosen the money up so they could build a stadium and stay here. And they've never forgotten that. Yeah, no, I I remember that one. Uh, That was very early on. uh, The White Sox won the division in 1983, and soon thereafter, uh, Josie, yes, they threatened uh, to to leave the city of Chicago, go to, I think it was Tampa Bay. Uh, And there was a lot of uh, wheeling and dealing when it was all over the state uh, had committed uh, to uh, building a new stadium for them. Uh, What Any other events we should know about uh, in the future celebrating the legacy, the 100th year anniversary of Harold Washington's birth? We have several things coming up. We have one coming up. I think it's October 5, but it's honoring the voter registration drive that when he said come alive October 5 because you know before he would agree to run he said register me 50,000 voters and by October 5 because I guess that was a deadline for registration and I think that may have been Harold's way of getting out of running because he didn't think we would do it and we tricked him we raised four times that many and he said well I guess I have to run and so we're going to do something to commemorate that. We're going to do a rather big thing with that because as nice as last evening was, and it was nice, I had visualized and still plan to make it happen. We forget about the Joe Blow on the street. You know, like they say, we were the ones who had the paint bucket painting over Jane Burns' signs and sticking nails in their tires when they came into the area. But we never get recognized. But it was those rallies at Bethel AME Church with Lou Palmer. That's where your energy came from for the community. They left there going to ring doorbells and, you know, they carol. And we are going to put a plaque on Bethel Church indicating that, you know, he was, he was the heart of it. Uh, yeah, Lou Palmer, the uh, journalist and political activist uh, who mm-hmm. led the voter, was one of the leaders of the voter registration drive. Uh, and uh, I I would say, uh, Josie, uh, that given the fact that he had um, s- so much uncertainty about running for mayor, 
that you probably had to stay there till the very end. So were you there to, uh, when he made the announcement at, I think it was at the Hyde Park Hotel, Hyde Park Hilton. Uh, that's where he, he announced he was going to run uh, for mayor. This is like in November of 82. No, I was not at I was not at the at the Ramada when he announced that next day. Uh -uh. I do remember that Reverend Porter, who's now deceased, um, some people say he introduced him. I don't think that's correct. He gave the invocation because when whoever had introduced Harold, and Harold went to the mic and he said, "Okay, we need to start this with 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 prayer. Come on up, Reverend Porter, and you know lead us in prayer, kind of thing." And on the spot, he coined the phrase, the man, the moment, the movement. And that followed the election all the way through. Yeah. The well, man. The moment, the movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought you might have been standing right behind him to make sure he didn't just have a, at the last minute, second thoughts and head out the door. <laughs> I wasn't sure I'd be honest about that, but he did. And, you know, the rest is history. That's all I can say. I'm just glad to have had him as my, I'm glad to have been a confidant. I mean, Harold has shared some of his utmost secrets with me. And it was just a long-time friendship. That's all I can say. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm not going to ask you, even though I want to, for you to share some of those secrets with us right now, because I knew you wouldn't do it anyway. Correct? Well, you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling, but I had to try, right, Monroe? I had to try. Come well, on. Yeah, you had to try. I can, tell, I can tell you he loved his Jack Daniels. Okay. Did not know that. <laughs> Two uh, things. When he, when he would come by the house, two things you could bet he had, a bottle of Jack Daniels and a book or piece of paper, something to read. Yeah. He was a big reader. Uh, <laughs> and uh, what kind of music did he like? You know, I never knew. I don't know the answer to that. What kind of music did Harold Washington oh, like? Oh, he was a jazz lover. He loved jazz. I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. No, he loved jazz. Yeah. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, uh, Josie Childs, thank you for taking time to come on our show, and uh, thank you for putting that uh, event together last night. Uh, and I sit corrected. I said, well, everybody was praising Harold, but you were point you pointed out uh, very astutely, uh, Monroe. That you hadn't arrived yet, uh, Monroe, but uh, she pointed out that most of the people in that room were friends of Harold. So there were not a lot of people in that room last night who would have been part of Bernie Epton's organization. Yeah, put it right. <laughs> No, so, uh, uh, but but the the crowd that was there was um, of Chicago's Black Power elite. Yeah. Well, I still want to have, plan to have, and hope to have something to commemorate that those people who made up those. What am I trying to say? The the rallies at Bethel AME Church. They deserve a lot of credit because it wasn't easy. Remember, a lot of people were with the machine. People were scared, but yeah, they yeah. they came. They, they became involved, and you got to give Lou Palmer credit. You got to give Conrad World credit. I mean, they were the ones that brought that energy to Bethel. Lou said, "We shall see in '83." Yeah. Great Conrad Worrell passed on last year. I think it was. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much, Josie. I appreciate it. Uh, we're uh, going to switch gears a little bit with Monroe and talk national politics. Okay. Well, anytime you want to talk about Harold, you know, I can talk about Harold forever. 
All right. Well, so can I, actually. And I think I'm going to bring you on. And each time you're on, you're going to reveal another secret about Harold Washington. So we know about the Jack Daniels, okay? Yeah. All right. Yeah, we, we, we might have to get 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 Josie a little Jack Daniels <laughs> <laughs> to get her to, to tell us a, a secret or two. <laughs> yeah, we're going <laughs> to... We're going to send down a bottle of Jack Daniels, uh, Josie. That'll uh, get you going. Get me going. Okay, dear. Well, thanks so much. Okay, you take care. Josie, you take care, okay? All right. Uh, that's the great Josie Childs. Uh, Colonel Riley, what a character he was, uh, Monroe. Yes. A- and um, good God, I could tell some Colonel Riley stories. But anyway, all right, let's move on. Uh, well, well, Monroe, your thoughts on Harold, the, the legacy last night. You were there. You saw people you hadn't seen in ages. Right. Uh, you, As uh, Josie er, er, said, you know, it was, it was um, jam-packed. The mayor was there. The governor was there. All the congressmen were there. Or most Lieutenant of them. governor was there. Lieutenant governor. Fresh out of yeah 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 fresh fresh out of hanging out with uh, Justice Jackson. You know she was at presence. I don't know if you knew that or not, but she was uh, in Washington. When You're talking about Juliana Stratton, yes. Lieutenant Governor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Like um, Tim Evans was there. Um, the right, <laughs> you know. See, here's the thing: the great Richard Steele emceed. Oh, can we give a shout out to our good friend? He was just on the. Sh- he was emceeing last week's uh, show when we paid tribute to Monroe's 75th. Monroe, you're a baby. You, you know what I mean? Your 75th birthday. Harold's a hundred. Monroe. Yeah. Right. No, actually, my my father and Harold were born the same year, 22. Uh, 1922, and my, my father's birthday was June 19th, mm. and Harold's was April 50th, so they were uh, a couple of months apart. You know, uh, when uh, when Josie was talking about how, I don't know if you were here yet, uh, how uh, Harold was still trying to get out of not running. He still wanted yeah. to get out of uh, running, uh, I should say, and uh, he was suggesting Roland Burris. Right. Uh, and Roland Burris, I don't know if that name is still remembered throughout uh, Chicago. I know my listeners will know who he is, but uh, he was the man who replaced uh, Barack Obama as senator. Before that, he was statewide office controller, uh, a black man from downstate, but he lived in Chicago. Uh, and he, yeah, he, whole- he lives in Mahalia Jackson's home. That's Mahalia Jackson lived there. Yes. Roland does. Yes, in Chatham. Yeah. Uh, does he still live there? Or I, yeah, I, was, I think. Yeah. I actually, I anyway, it would have been a completely different campaign. The two really different politicians, Roland Burris and Harold Washington. Uh, and I'm I'm wondering if uh, had Roland Burris run much more uh, a conventional politician, if you will, than Harold, yeah. who had already left the party pretty much as. Um, uh, Josie was saying he was a maverick. Uh, would it have had the same impact no. as Harold? No, 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 it wouldn't have. You know, I, and I wrote, I wrote a column in in the Tribune mm-hmm. uh, about um, the, the next mayor will be a black man, and when I wrote it, it was heresy. You know, it's. Uh, but but um, I said it would be either 
Harold R. Rowland, and that he would win simply because you had two very popular white candidates. And at that time, Chicago was basically 60% white and 40% black. She split 60 and a half, and the 40 could win. Uh, there were there were those at the Tribune who told me that I was out of my mind thinking that black folks would vote for Harold or they would vote for someone else. And that was not a, a, a naive statement on their behalf because in the, in the earlier race when Harold ran, he didn't get much of a black vote at all. So, you know, it, it made sense. But the debate made the difference. Um, I was one of the journalists on the second debate with Harry Golden. And I asked about, my question was about police brutality. And Harold just, I mean, he took it and just ran with it. And, it, and he was so forceful. I mean, and he, and he didn't dilly-dally or anything. He attacked, burned head on. He, he just um, dismissed Richie as a junior. And the day after that debate, when I was going to work at the Tribune, there was a sea of blue buttons in the loop in downtown. And, and I knew that um, this was going to be a contest. I, I wasn't willing to predict Harold's victory at that time, but there was no doubt in my mind that um, he was major, major. Yeah, no, that debate was, well, there were three debates, and uh, I'm not, the one I remember clearly on my mind was one that held, I'm not sure it was the one where you were the, uh, uh, the one of the questionnaires with Harry Golden, but it was a debate that was held at one of the major banks downtown. They had a, a meeting room, and uh, I remember I was attending that, and I was sitting behind John Stroger, who was the committeeman of the eighth ward and a daily uh, supporter. And John Stroger, of course, went on to become president of the Cook County Board. Uh, but he was one of uh, Richie Daly's key black supporters. And you talk about a tough job in the eighth ward trying to get the vote out for Richie Daly when Harold Washington uh, is uh, running strong. And after that debate, that's Harold just mopped the floor with both of them. He was right. such a better. He was he was clearly smarter than either one of them, uh, and much better at uh, debate. And I remember John Stroger <laughs> walking out and just shaking his head like, "Oh, <laughs> we're in trouble." But at the same time, Monroe he had kind of a smile on his face, like even though he was on the Daily Team, right? He loved it that Harold had mopped the floor with these two guys. You know what I'm saying? It was right. just like. Right now, everybody, you know, they 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 knew Harold and they 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 liked Harold a lot, but they knew where their bread was buttered. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, because Tim Evans, yeah. the Mister Heir Apparent, um, he was he he backed Byrne. It was only after she lost to Harold that he he, he turned over. That is actually not over. true. That's not, that's not true. You just don't like him so much because later on you put that. He did not. He's not a fool, Tim Evans. He's the fourth ward alderman, which is uh, a predominantly black area. He 
did not support Bur- I could I unbelievable Monroe. I think I can name every single black alderman who supported Mayor Byrne, and every single one of them was defeated. Uh, by the way, uh, in the uh, eighty three election, I want to say that for maybe Bill Henry, uh, but um, Robert Shaw. Uh, back to him, Bill Barnett from the second ward, back to him, uh, back to her. Uh, but uh, anyway, see, here's why, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just going to say. When did Tim, when did Tim back? Harold? Back, back Carol, yeah. From the get-go in 83. There's no way he wasn't going to, he backed him in the primary when it was Daly, Byrne, and Harold. You could, we could look it up. But here, ladies, let me just explain something. Sure. Harold, uh, Monroe, as I've said many times, we've talked about it many times, was press secretary to Mayor Eugene Sawyer. And Mayor Eugene Sawyer was uh, elected mayor by a vote of the city council to fill, like, what is it, six months until a regular election could have be, uh, take place to fill out Harold Washington's term, whatever, whatever it was. I forget how many months it was. Uh, it was bitterly divided, and his main foe was Tim Evans. Uh, and Tim Evans and his supporters called Eugene Sawyer every kind of name in the book. And I have since come to realize that that was just a huge mistake. And Monroe has been way ahead of me in this one. So I have to give him credit for this one. You were way ahead of me in this one, Monroe. What a big mistake that was to make Tim Evans out to be like the second coming of Harold Washington. Okay. And then, okay. While we're talking. Yeah. This is what I want you to do. Not not right at this very moment, but after we're done with this show, is 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 go to your your paper. Yeah. And go back to the week between uh, when Harold died and December one and two, mm-hmm. and read um, Gary Rivlin's article. Okay. It's entitled Seven Wretched Days." All right. And in that. And that, that's in the moment. That's not historical. It's, he's reporting then. He talks about how the black alderman um, did not um, like um, Tim because he hadn't backed him. All right. I'll, I'll go check that up. And if I'm wrong... Yeah, I will buy you lunch at the restaurant of your choice, okay. uh, and and admit it on on the air, which is really hard for me to admit I'm wrong, uh, but I will do so. Now uh, I'll send it to you because okay. actually it it, um, it may have been another article River wrote a, um, a month later. Neither here I, nor here. I've been doing the chapter, and so I've been through so much material. But it's is written down that the black alderman um, didn't like Tim because. He is sided with Byrne. In 83, in the primary. In 83, okay. yes. All right. Uh, so put that aside. Let's just okay. put that dispute okay. aside. Let's All get right. to the heart of things. Okay. Monroe Anderson will always have somewhere in the back of his mind just a touch, just a touch, ladies and gentlemen, of resentment toward Tim Evans for the role that he played in sabotaging Eugene Sawyer's uh, mayorship. Will you agree with me on that point, Monroe? Oh, Yes. Okay. And by the way, so will I. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, and I covered and I covered briefly, yes, uh, eight months or so, maybe a little longer, a city hall. And 
I knew Tim and I knew Gene. I knew everybody. And there was no heir apparent. There, there was no, Harold was, when Harold said he's going to be mayor for 20 years, he was not joking. This was, he was expressing his ambition and desire. Uh, so, it, in, in, in fact, at one point, uh, Richard told, still told me this, that there was this restaurant, Catfish Digby's, which is on Roosevelt Road. In the near, and um, it was it was it was a great place where black politicians went all the time. They had a meeting to discuss a a successor. Should something happen to Harold, who should succeed him? Who would be the best successor? Harold heard about it <laughs> and um, used his sharp tongue <laughs> to let everybody know no more of that. <laughs> You don't discuss my successor. I'm, you know, I'm the mayor, and I'm going to be the mayor. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I, I know what you're saying on that point. I remember him doing an interview. Uh, I think it was on the WGN, the old Milt Rosenberg show, uh, and he was saying, "I'm going to be the mayor of the city for the next 20 years," just like he said. And then they did the math. And it would be like 2007, and he would be in his 80s. Right. And he goes, I'll still be the mayor of this city. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because Mayor Daly won the 75, I think, when he died. He was been so. Harold's going to add a few other years on to that. Yeah, he goes, I'll be the mayor till yeah for 20 years. So uh, yeah, he. Uh, but uh, the division uh, led ultimately. Uh, to the end of the Sawyer administration, he lost the special election to Richard uh, M. Daly. And uh, and then Tim Evans ran in the, the general election as the third party, and he, he lost as well. And, of course, then we had 20-odd years of baby Daly, Richard M. Daly. Uh, and it was it, it was a very it's a very difficult pill to swallow um, for people who really supported Harold Washington's agenda. Oh, you know, when Harold was f- first elected, uh, he went someplace to, and talked to some people, and s- somebody told him that he didn't look like a mayor. And his response was, I am the mayor, so this is what the mayor looks like. Wow. <laughs> that, that, that was his, he was quick on his feet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, I just want to uh, do a little promotion here. Eugene Sawyer's son is an alderman of the Sixth Ward, uh, Rod Sawyer, and he'll be our guest uh, next month at the Hideout, the May first Tuesday show, May third. Uh, Rod Sawyer will be there, and maybe we can get him to talk about. He may run for mayor. Uh, he's thinking about it. He let me know when I set up the interview that he is definitely thinking about it. Uh, and uh, he'll be uh, on the show with uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, uh, progressive alderman, uh, socialist Democrat, Democratic Socialist from 35th Ward. I'll be discussing the ward map, and they promise a, a, a civil uh, but uh, dynamic discussion about the future of Chicago politics and ward. So it's going to be a heck of a, uh, a discussion. And Monroe, let's just keep it on Chicago for today's show. We can always talk about Trump and national politics and the war uh, and the war. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's for somehow or other Chicago uh, doesn't seem as gloomy as the rest of the world right now. Um, 
I, I, I'm, I'm excited by the possibility of a, a, a Rod Sawyer. I, uh, I like it. It's just interesting to see whether that name uh, carries anything uh, in Chicago politics, whether people re- – I know you have to be at least 60 to, to remember the name Sawyer, but I'm really curious to see if there's a legacy there. What's your thoughts about uh, what people – how they'll respond uh, to the Sawyer name on the ballot should Rod Sawyer run? You know, unfortunately, Mayor Sawyer was in office too short a time, 17 months, and was low-key. And so the thing that was really interesting is that for about 20 years, when people would talk to me, they thought I was Harold's press secretary, not Sawyer's, because they didn't, you know, they they didn't remember him. And I mean, and even in death, um, Stroger died a day or two, either before or after Sawyer. And so he got the major headlines, not the former mayor. Um, so I, I, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I, I'm not sure Rod has been assertive enough and challenging enough, you know, and, and challenging whoever was mayor to get a lot of mileage. Um, but we'll see. You know, I like Rod, so I, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever, I, I know I haven't told you this, but Joyce, when I was press secretary, Joyce did a painting of Mayor Sawyer for his birthday. And um, Rod now has that painting of Joyce's in his, his, his ward office hmm. behind his desk of his father. So, I did not know. You never told me that. I did not yeah. know. That. Uh, well, I hope you can come to uh, the hideout May 3rd. Uh, Rod Sawyer will be there. And again, I point this out to everybody. Uh, the dynamic, we'll be talking about this over and over and over again in the upcoming mayoral election in the city of Chicago uh, is, is pretty straightforward. We have a runoff system. So, I'm presuming Mayor Lori Lightfoot will run, and I'm presuming she'll be the top vote getter in the first round. But I don't think she's going to get 50%. And so as a result, she'll run against the number two person. And so that's what they're all fighting for, Monroe, to come in second. What do you think about uh, Santa Claus Wilson? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Willie Wilson. (laughs) We talk about Willie Wilson. We have a lot of fun talking about it. One of my favorite shows – uh, Monroe and Willie Wilson uh, in the old days were at the Sun-Times studio sitting next. I can still see it in my mind's eye sitting next to each other. And Mo- Monroe very gently trash-talking Willie Wilson, just gently uh, teasing him more like than, than trash-talking. Yeah. Because Willie Wilson's a Republican. And, I mean, and, and yesterday when he announced, we t- I talked about this on the air, he couldn't even answer truthfully who he voted for. He wouldn't say. And Monroe... New York Times headlines aside about how somehow or other the GOP is making inroads with black voters by abusing uh, Justice Brown Jackson, a headline that they will never live down in my mind. Okay. And we talked about that yesterday at length with uh, Dummery Cobb. Put aside that uh, delusional piece of fiction. It's the kiss of death in the city of Chicago to have voted for Donald Trump. 
He got 80. Biden got at least 85 percent of the vote. Monroe, people hate Trump in Chicago. So Willie Wilson, I don't know how he thinks he's going to get elected citywide. Citywide, Monroe, if he can't even answer a simple question, who did you vote for in the 2020 presidential election? And what his response is, is that's a personal question. I know every other candidate will, will will gladly say I voted for Joe Biden. I no, voted for no. the only- <laughs> Willie obviously is a good businessman. You know, yeah, yeah. He, I don't think that he has a high school diploma. Uh, he had to drop out to work in at, at he he in in the cotton field, and and you know he. He he has more than pulled himself up by his bootstraps, but Willie is not a good politician. Yeah. And if he if he finds someone who can handle his campaign, and and that he'll listen to, he may become more of a, a threat. A uh, wait, actually, let me uh, push back and then get your thoughts. Sure. I think he's a very good politician. I think his politics are wrong for the city of Chicago. Again, Willie Wilson out of nowhere has made himself a brand name in the city of Chicago. And he's done that by being uh, very generous with giveaways. Yeah. So the gas giveaway uh, before that, there was just a straight up money giveaway. Right. And, uh, and, and he makes serious donations to black ministers yes. on the West and South sides. And he goes to white churches too. In the he was the one. Willie uh, Wilson was the face of opposition to mandates that church services be closed during the height of the COVID outbreak. Yeah, uh, I remember he went to a church on the north side. Uh, I forget which church it was. I think it was an Assyrian church, but don't quote me. On the yeah. north side, there wasn't a black person in that church except for Willie Wilson, and so he, there he was a st- making a stand for what they call religious freedoms and religious liberties and the right to congregate. And they, they were asking if, if uh, liquor stores could be open, why are not churches? So I think he's a very shrewd politician. Well, okay. His problem is his politics. He's a Republican in an <laughs> overwhelming Democratic city. Well, and, he, and now he's trying to uh, dance he, and dodge his way around that one. With, oh, it's a personal question. Come well, on, Monroe. Right. He, 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 with the, the whole religious thing. One of the reasons Willie is as rich as he is is because Jonathan Rogers gave him this TV show. First on WBBM TV. It's it's I forget the name of it, but it's it's a it's a a church show where they sing gospel, sing sing station. That's it. And then when Jonathan became president of CBS, he got Willie's show into all the places where the CBS had a station. And Willie's grown that. And so he is a church man. I mean, and, and seriously and sincerely. So it's, um, so I, I, I can see where he would be taking the church position. Absolutely. He's a, he's a church man. You're absolutely correct. And uh, he was there. I mean, listen, I, uh, 
I, I, I don't know if I should say I got to give him credit because I'm not quite sure. I have to put, go back in time. I didn't think it was such a great idea to open up churches. We It was such a scary moment, Monroe. Just think about oh, yeah, April know. and May of 2020 and how little we knew about COVID and how scary it was. Uh, but there he was. And uh, he was on the front lines of that fight. So he's, I, I think he's a very shrewd politician. His problem, again, is politics. I can't see him defeating Lori Lightfoot one-on-one. If he can't even say who he voted for in the presidential race race of 2020, how the heck how can he defeat Lori Lightfoot? She'll say it out loud, you know, every time they have any debate. If, if, if he, he, he's primed the pump with his money, if he, if he could get enough money, I think he could give um, Mayor Lightfoot a run for hers because um, she's not she's not overwhelmingly popular in the black community. That's not her crowd. She's with the LGBT crowd more than she is with the black community. I think. Well, what was the reception for uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot last night with the Harold Washington crowd at the uh, Harold Washington Library? You're our reporter on the scene. What was it like? Um, polite. I mean, you know, it wasn't standing up or standing ovation, cheers or anything like that. You know, they, she, she, um, she went up and she gave a speech, and it was, you know, she was, she was Mayor Lightfoot and. They were listening to Mayor Lightfoot. You know, she was praising Harold. Uh, but there there was a, a great deal of passion. At least I didn't detect it in the audience. Who got the biggest uh, round of applause? Um, yeah, Harold did. <laughs> Joyce in the background. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She's right. Harold got the 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 biggest, um, yeah, you know, yeah. Because everybody was everybody also was talking about her. Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, there really is uh, nobody who will ever replace him, at least not uh, in our lifetime. All right, Monroe, we'll close with this. Uh, so you went to this uh, ceremony at the Harold Washington Library. All the dignitaries of Chicago politics were there. Richard Steele, the great Richard Steele, was the MC, uh, and uh, there were at least a hundred people in this room. Correct? Yeah, we st- yeah, standing room only. Yeah, standing room only. Uh, and according to my reporter, who remained anonymous, uh, who was wearing a mask, my reporter, my inside source, was wearing a mask. You, Monroe Anderson, were, were not wearing a mask. Uh, sometimes I was. Sometimes my reporter may have got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> right. My right. reporter, who is standing in the same room as Monroe, may have got it wrong. So yeah, no, I came in. I, I put a mask on. I took a mask off. I put a mask on. I took it off. All right. So, what is the Monroe Anderson position on masks uh, as we head into this phase of the pandemic? Shaky. <laughs> I. I like to follow what the scientists say, and they've they've been saying masks are not necessary. 
but now as as the uh, the the virus continues to grow now they may change their minds and so if they change their minds i will be wearing a mask i will be wearing it in protest or if it gets if it gets much higher yeah um then i'll be wearing it um pre- preventively uh, although my i'm i'm not over, I'm not doing any hand wringing on it because um, I've had all the shots. Well, actually, I need to get the second booster, but I've had shots. And um, if you are properly vaccinated, then um, unless you have an underlying condition, you are not going to die mm. from it or even go to the hospital. So I, uh, it's, it's, it's like a bad cold. Yeah, I, I'm gonna write about this. I, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I, I've I told you this and Joyce this. We were having a conversation last night. I, I really <laughs> come to like masks <laughs> in my own weird way. Uh, it, I don't know if word like is the correct word, but appreciate them, and uh, I'm probably wearing them for a long uh, time. Yeah, well, that's because when you're taking your walks every night, if if you want to stick up a liquor store on the corner, <laughs> you can get away with it. Even if they show you on the camera from the camera, they won't know who it was. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, on those walks, uh, I go by, there is a liquor store. It's funny you should mention that. And I remember going by that liquor store throughout the pandemic and it was the only thing open this liquor store. It was doing good business right. uh, and people were buying their booze. I, I actually agree with uh, Pritzker. You needed to keep those liquor stores open and the reefer dispensaries. People needed, right. uh, they needed to just, you know, have, a, have a little brain diversion, I guess. Right. Uh, from the utter madness. Uh, we'll get into the utter madness next week. We take a little bit of break uh, in this particular show from national politics. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say Monroe that uh, I just saw this before we went on the air in New York. They caught uh, the suspect who's uh, been accused of shooting uh, 10 people in a subway in Brooklyn yesterday. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, he, 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 you know, I suspect that he has some sort of mental illness issues. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. All right, Monroe Anderson, uh, thank you very much. Uh, every Wednesday in the Ben Jarofsky Show, I also want to thank Josie Childs, longtime aide and friend to Harold Washington uh, for her memories and the secret she un, uh, revealed on today's show that Harold, was it Jack Daniels? Harold, yeah. every now and then. Like, I did not know that. Yeah. I never thought of Harold as a drinker. Did you, Monroe? I just never uh, thought. Yeah, I, 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 I'd heard rumors. I never saw him drunk or anything like that, but no. I heard rumors that, you know, Kanye likes Jack Daniels too, but. And that is about all Kanye and Harold Washington have in common. Right, exactly. Uh, (laughs) And they're both from Chicago. Uh, And uh, I'm going to check out that, uh, we'll look up and see who Tim Evans supported in the 1983 uh, mayoral primary. Uh, And if Monroe Anderson is correct, I will buy him lunch. And if I am correct, he will buy me lunch. There used to be this place at a great chicken right around the corner from where Monroe lives, but it's no longer there, as I understand it. So we're going to have to find some other place to go. Yeah, it's it's in Hyde Park. Oh, well, then we'll go to Hyde Park. Oh, Sergio to come. It'll be a lot of fun. We'll make a field trip. Uh, All right. Very good. Thank you very much, Monroe Anderson. Thank you very much, Josie Childs. And, of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Monroe and Josie will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. 
And the D stands for DeMarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take out a petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Mm-hmm.